Hello, listener. Boy, your hair looks great today. This is Dan, and just a reminder that this is part two of two of this episode of the Dan and Aaron Like a Rama. Uh, part one is the one right before this one in the feed, if you don't know how episodes work. And uh, we'll get started right here in a minute, but just wanted to remind you of the current ongoing contest where every 16th listener of the Dan and Aaron Like a Rama gets a free complimentary particle accelerator. Just find your IP address and submit that and the date stamp of you downloading this file and send those to myparticleaccelerator.com slash there, 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 and be sure to spell them the right way. No refunds. Here's part two. Um, so more stuff from this era. Um, and I, I'm trying to go a little bit chronologically. So around the same time, um, Art Spiegelman, uh, who you might have known from Mouse, M-A-U-S. Yes. Um, now that's what I have read. I do recognize yeah. that. You know, bestseller, huge, big deal book. One of the one of the comic books that really legitimized uh, the so-called graphic novel. Right. And right. It's one of the ones that's really like, oh, it's really not just you know, tough guys hitting each other and shooting lasers. Okay. Yeah. It can also be about other stuff, because yeah. it's at this point it's really like. If you say I don't like comics, it's kind of like saying I don't like novels or yeah, right. I don't like movies. It's just a yeah. medium because there's mm-hmm. any kind of story, right. you know, whether it's confused lesbians wondering if they're going to go to hell or if it is, uh, you know, tough guys beating each other up yeah. or if it's neurotic, sex obsessed uh, creeps chasing big butted women or if it is someone's experience in the Holocaust or right. if it is you know a, a, a parody of the superhero genre yeah. well, you know it could be anything um, so Raw is actually where Mouse was first serialized yeah. it was um, a, uh, it was an anthology that Art Spiegelman founded in 1980, and it ran till about 91. Yeah. Um, and this was a lot more... The other anthologies, like uh, Heavy Metal, was out there at this point, and that was very sci-fi and very... Whoa, man, rock and roll, drugs in space. Whoa, look at... Yo, everyone's wearing leather. It has big boobs. Wow, right. cool. Um, Raw was much more, like, intellectual. Yeah. Um, and the, besides the themes, the presentation was really cool. Like the first few issues, um, one had bubblegum cards in it. Uh, one had a, a flexi disc, you know, where it was like a really floppy record. Mm-hmm. A flexi disc of where someone had done a sound collage where they edited Ronald Reagan <laughs> and make <laughs> it like awesome. a, a different, a whole new thing. That's and fantastic. that was just inserted in this comic book anthology, in this magazine. It reminds me of um, the, uh, um, 
negative land era stuff where it's like yeah let's let's be creative as possible and let's find as many um creative mediums with which to descend our message and maybe it's maybe it's not a message but you know we're just gonna have fun you know exactly yeah yeah um, and like on on one issue, just every copy, they stood there and ripped, ripped up the front cover. Nice. And so they That's they awesome. were all damaged before they left the office on the way to the shops. You know, just interesting stuff. That's cool. Yeah, it was it was really neat, and they were artists from all over the the UK and France and. There were Congolese artists, Japanese, uh, Argentinian, all over. Um, yeah, really neat stuff. Um, Flaming Carrot, I love Flaming Carrot. Yes. And Mystery Men, uh, which you yeah. might have seen that f- awesome movie. Yes. With uh, Paul Rubens, Janine Garofalo, Ben Stiller. God, it was a good movie. Tom Waits. That movie is so freaking good. I that love movie... Mystery Men. I, William H. Macy. As the yes. shoveler, I yes. shovel well. Lucille, God gave me a gift. <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, one of my favorite things is that I'm part of uh, uh, a bunch of um, Facebook and uh, Reddit groups uh, for um, obscure, weird, and um, random cars and, and tanks and vehicles and stuff. And every once in a while... Uh, somebody will post a picture of a very big military looking van and say what is this god i would love to get my hands on it and restore it and if you scroll through the comments it's all herkimer battle jitney herkimer battle jitney herkimer battle jitney (laughs) which is the van that they used in mystery men (laughs) nice yeah yeah uh yeah mystery men and flaming carrot were by bob burden were yeah they're great because they're just they're so damn weird yeah it's it looks like a superhero comic except it's just weird like flaming carrot is a crazy guy who has a big carrot mask that actually is on fire on the top and the mask is probably six feet tall right um that sits on his head and he has flippers for shoes right he has like swimming flippers, uh, and he, he just has, has to go about his day like this. It's it's so yeah. <laughs> he walks around town like this, uh, yeah. and he has a utility belt. But instead of like a Batman utility belt with all this like smoke bomb, batarang, yep. Yep. you know, uh, grappling hook, his is like uh, string gum spare change it's yeah. just like random crap you right. know like old baseball cards right <laughs> he's he, he doesn't have any powers he's just a weird crazy guy yeah. <laughs> in yeah. this bizarre he's otherwise mess. a normal person just with yeah. a giant flaming carrot head yep yeah yeah and uh and mystery man was similar where it's all these all these folks who have like negligible or useless powers. I've, yeah. I loved, I think everyone in the movie came out of the comics. I love Mr. Furious. Cause yes. he just gets angry. He's just That's very his angry. whole thing. Yep. <laughs> he's angry. He's like, Oh, and he wants yep. to get in a fight and that's it. Yep. 
They're just, and you know, and they hang out. And like most of the comics, they're not fighting crime. They're just like yeah. at the diner complaining. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's fighting just, with each other. Yep. It's, it's really weird and stupid and fabulous. Yeah. It's just fantastic. <laughs> I love yeah. it. And Flaming Carrot and Mystery Man are hard to find, but if you find it, pick it up. It's, yeah. I can't recommend it enough. And uh, in that vein, uh, more parodies, um, as you said earlier, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles by Kevin yeah. Eastman and Peter Laird. Eastman yeah, and Laird. And I, I don't want to like, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I do want to say that one of my favorite things about the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles is that before it was what it is now, where it's this iconic, everybody knows it. It yeah. was uh, it was a weird underground comic, and it's like it was that's a one of, weird it's one underground of my, comic. Yeah, it, and it's one of my favorite success stories of weird underground comics done right. But I, yeah, I, and I'm gonna shut up now because I want I and, want you to drive that uh, storytelling. Well, I mean, it was another one of these self self published deals. Yeah, and you know, it it was almost immediate success. Yeah. And it blew up, and shortly, like, really, in a couple years, it went from a gritty, violent, very indie, why would any studio want anything to do with this, to the yeah. most popular franchise on the planet. Yep. Um, you know, like, Star Wars was on pause. Ninja Turtles was it. And it yep. was just bizarre. Yeah this metamorphosis especially when it is a gritty parody of a few different things but mostly frank miller's run on daredevil yeah yeah if you look at frank miller's daredevil in the 80s and then you look at the ninja turtles yeah he had they both have ninjas yep daredevil fought the hand the turtles fight the foot. Daredevil's <laughs> mentor was Stick. The turtles' mentor is Splinter. Yep. Uh, they both get their powers from radioactive ooze that fell into the street. In fact, in the first issue, it's it's a, it also like sort of off panel. It hits a kid in the eye. Oh no, this kid's eyes. And so like, oh, that's Daredevil over there. Okay. Yeah. Right. So it's the same radioactive ooze yeah it's these nudge nudge wink winks yeah exactly. it's very nudge nudge wink wink yeah it's yeah. it's and but it went on to be this like worldwide blockbuster thing yeah yeah um and another one from around that time is the tick god yeah. i love the tick and again it's not exactly indie anymore because there is a hit yeah. cartoon on fox in the 90s yeah. And a hit sitcom with the guy from Seinfeld around 2000. Yep. yep. And another recent, very, very, very good show on Amazon Prime starring uh, uh, the guy from Look Around You, uh, Peter Serafinowicz. Oh, my God. Which, by the way, I just I need love to that. say, yeah, any, any, so Peter uh, Serafinowicz, and I, I may have mentioned this before. He 
in in the early days of his uh, popularity, his rising popularity, had and I believe he still has a YouTube channel where he will he would upload these random things that he and his friends would put together, um, mm-hmm. and it was so bizarre. It was like uh, it uh, it was these images of like producing mannequins and. Uh, American production and factories and stuff like that all composited together. Uh, and it was a series of videos where it was like how to build a human being. And <laughs> it was him with the Peter Fenwick's super deep voice walking yeah. you through the process of, you know, and now we will take the putty and we will pour it into the mold. And when it comes out the other side, you will have a human being. Of course, then you have to cast it with the bizarre life juice that makes the human beings walk and talk. <laughs> and it was, it was very deadpan and nonchalant. If yeah. you, if you uh, go look up Peter Serafinowicz's, uh, uh his YouTube oh, channel. He's it's so amazing. funny and yeah, charming. Yeah. He's just funny yes. and charming. And yes. look around you. Oh, man, what a great series that was. Yes. The BBC... BBC. I don't know if it was BBC. The British version of Look Around You with Peter Serafin is so deadpan hilarious. Yeah. And speaking of things that he did, he did one of the funniest things. It's like it's like before Too Many Cooks. It was a Too Many Cooks kind of thing. Right. Where he took um, A Day in the Life by the Beatles. And you know how it's like uh there's the John Lennon part about the, you know, all the, it's the, the sort of right. psychedelic part. And then it goes, doon, 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 woke up, get out of bed. Da, 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 da. And there's just the little jaunty Paul McCartney part for like five seconds. And then it goes uh-huh. back to the, ah, right, right, right. The psychedelic part. So Sarah Fenelis is like, well, hang on. I like that running down and catching the bus part. And so he extended that. And so it's like a 10-minute song where it starts with the John Lennon part and you hear the beginning of Paul McCartney's part. And then once he gets on the bus, then Peter Serafinowicz takes over singing like Paul McCartney about how he gets to the office and sees the receptionist and goes and has to do some <laughs> work and the boss yells at life. him and he does oh, he makes his lunch and his lunch isn't very good. <laughs> and it's like it's a whole day <laughs> of this like boring oh, guy's life. <laughs> Just this boring humdrum day in that do 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 But that part of the song goes on for like eight minutes. Just on and on. Oh that's great. And then it goes back to the John Lennon part. It's so good. But it just keeps on going and it's you're you're cracking up for a couple minutes and then you're like, okay, all right, I get it. <laughs> and then a couple more minutes go by and you're like, wow, this really is going a long time. Huh? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and oh, you wait, just we're start... going to do this joke again and again? <laughs> oh, okay, fine. <laughs> and, you just... and then you start to go insane. <laughs> and you just sort of like slowly lose your mind. <laughs> and it's the... It's so funny. Look it up. Nice. I, I, I think a few people have it up on YouTube. It's so nice. funny. Right. It right. absolutely slays me. <laughs> <sighs> um, so anyway, The Tick, played by Peter Serafinovitz. 
Um, the comic was similar to Ninja Turtles. It was a parody of, you know, superheroes. But the Tick is just this right. big, dumb clod who doesn't remember his origin story. But right. he right. somehow... You somehow figure out that he escaped from a, a mental institution. Right. <laughs> and he's nigh invulnerable, whatever that means. Right, right. Um, <laughs> there's a great scene where, like, he falls off a building and he's like, oh, that's okay. I'll just flip on that flagpole. And he falls right. and the flagpole breaks and he's still falling. And, and the flagpole's under his armpit going, flip, 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 flip. It's like, boing, 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 boing. <laughs> And he sees, and he sees the street. He's like, "That's okay. I'll just bounce off that large, that large flat surface." <laughs> and he like <laughs> craters into the street, and the flagpole is still flip, 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 right. flip, flip. <laughs> and just everyone in it is just an imbecile or uh, a, a moron, a crazy person, right. a demented, not genius at all. It's just yeah. wall-to-wall crazy idiots. Right. And it's a delight, and I'm glad that it got immediate success, just like the Ninja Turtles. Yeah, they deserve um, it. And so that's the sort of alternative era. And I should point out that in this time, the sort of 80s, yeah. um, the big two, you got more and more of this indie feeling in DC and Marvel, not necessarily all over the place. You know, the, right. the Punisher didn't suddenly get alternative. Yeah. But, um, this is like when, uh, around 80 or so, Alan Moore took over Swamp Thing and Swamp Thing became this uh, whole yeah. like psychedelic immersive thing. Right. Um, and that's before he did his Vertigo stuff, you know, Watchmen and V for Vendetta and all. Yeah, yeah. Um, you had Neil Gaiman come in and take over Sandman in the late 80s. And thank God he did because oh, Neil man. Gaiman is, oh my God. What just a brilliant a gift to comic comics. that is. Yeah, yeah. Um, still with DC because I've been reading the DC app. Uh, Keith Giffen did a lot of cool stuff. He did Ambush Bug, um, who's just like a guy in a suit. And the suit can teleport. And he the whole thing with Ambush Book is he keeps, like, trying to get a job with, like, the Justice League or somebody. But uh. no one, like, wants him. Okay. So he's like, oh, okay. So he's just, like, walking down the street with his hands in his pockets, like, failing. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really funny, and it's clever, and it's really great. Right. Uh, he also did Amazing Man, who's this little short guy with a big yellow helmet, and his nose sticks out of it. Okay. And he has his heart boxers on over his outfit. Okay. Um, and Amazing Man is silly. He he did a fun guest spot on Batman Brave and the Bold, the cartoon from like 10 years ago. All right. Um, Keith Giffen also took over the Justice League America, a.k.a. Justice League International, and Justice League Europe in like 86, oh, 88, 89, right. around then. And that's when, instead of, we're all going to smite evil, it was yeah, like, right. oh my God, you guys are insufferable. I hate this. <laughs> you know, you had, it was sort of like all the C-list heroes, like yeah. Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman were off doing their things. And you had like 
Martian Manhunter was like the biggest deal on the team, but you had like Guy Gardner, the Green Lantern everyone hates because he's like yeah. just a, an asshole. <laughs> right. And you had like uh, uh, you had Fire and Ice who were like they tried to be models and that didn't work out, so now they're superheroes. <laughs> and uh, Kilowog, one of the Green Lanterns, who comes to New York is like, wait, this sucks. So he, he leaves for Soviet Russia and he's like, Oh, I don't know. This kind of sucks too. (laughs) But it's just the, the fighting crime happened, but it was not the most important part of the story. The important part was like, man, look at all these idiots. Look at all these jerks hating each other. Right. Um, as an art, the art, person the artist that i that uh identifies for me this era is bill senkevitz yeah um i love bill senkevitz uh, spelled uh scene key wicks bill okay. senkevitz um he did um new mutants at marvel right um he did oh god what did he do at dc i think he he did some of the cosmic stuff, like Doctor Fate or something like that. But he did um, some New Mutants, and he might have done some other X Men stuff. He was big in the Inferno arc, and Sinkevitz's style is so good because it's so cartoony, and the demons look—they don't look like a, a muscle-bound guy with horns on his head. It looks like right. some cartoon freak. Okay, you and know. You said squ- it's- Bill S I E N K I E W I C Z, I think. Oh, sweet. There it is. Yeah. And his style is, his style is so squiggly and frenetic and, uh, Uh. it's on model, but he gets off the model just enough to get more of the abstract emotion in there. Oh, I love it. Oh, his Joker stuff is really cool. Yeah, 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 oh, yeah. yeah. It's yeah, just, yeah. it's it's a little more abstract than, look at all the muscles. Yeah. Um, yeah, I really, really like his style. And it, it really slides into the mid-80s and late-80s very so, well. Because it's right at the time when the big two were getting a little bit artsy on some of their books. Right, right. Huh. You know, it's like, if you want a big, if you want a guy with muscles beating people up go read superman by all means have fun if you want a guy with guns here's the punisher great have fun but here's these other books that are really interesting with these like interesting ragtag group of people who are were kind of thrown together because for whatever reason they have powers and they're trying to figure it out (laughs) I recognize now where I I've seen his art before and um he did uh the cover to the Dune comic adaptation. Oh and okay. That that single image um I can't remember which comic book store it was where I used to see it, but I just remember seeing that image and associating it with Dune for many years even before I saw the Dune movie. Mm, and mm-hmm. uh I uh, I was like, "Wow, that that looks amazing and then i saw the dune movie and i was like okay well it's just okay i guess (laughs) (laughs) and that was and that was long before i ever sat down and 
read Dune all the way through. Sure. And oh, then once well, I, yeah. Yeah. Once I, Ten once years I realized later that it when was, you finished. Yeah. Once I realized that it was more than just uh, the uh, version of Dune that we we got on film, it was like, oh, oh, okay, okay. There is more to this. Okay, got it. Yeah, yeah. I wonder anyway, what the new movie will look like. Will uh, end up being like. The knows? trailer looks amazing. Oh my yeah, goodness! For sure, dude. Dude, I'm totally deviating for a half second here. Um, Bill Sienkiewicz did um, uh, some of the uh, seasonal promotional art for uh, uh, the Venture Brothers. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah he does cause... a lot of like uh, comic issue covers and a yeah. lot of a lot of yeah, like promotional covers and images. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, he's great. To... Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so now we're like into the nineties and, uh, more big deal indie stuff. This is when I started buying comics. Right. Um, and, uh, bone is great. I, my, my local library has the whole run of bone. Bone is great. It's, it's more like, it's more like kid friendly almost. It's just, it's more Casper style than muscle bound, muscle, muscle. We have the entire... It has a great story. Like, it has an arc. Oh, my God. Like an actual arc. <laughs> I, I, maybe it's not the entire Bone compilation, but we have a large chunk of the Bone. Like, uh, we have this big volume that I picked up for the girls for uh, Christmas that I'm so oh, cool. looking forward to uh, reading through. Yeah, I love Bone. Um, another one from that. I love Too Much Coffee Man. By yes. Shannon Wheeler. Shannon Wheeler was this was another like totally self published. And in the comic, Too Much Coffee Man is this like fat guy in a red jumpsuit or long johns and at the top of his head is a giant coffee mug with yeah. coffee in it. Yeah. Um I love Too Much Coffee Man. He was another one that you turned me on to and I was like, Oh my god, this is great. <laughs> it's so good because it's just it's the you get all the the existential neuroses yeah. of what do I do? It's a very Gen X comic. It's a very nineties comic. Right. Where you have a lot of you know, he draws himself as a caveman sometimes where and he'll be like on the phone like, Yeah, I don't know, they asked me I, you know, someone met me and they're like, Wow, you don't look at all like you do in the comics and I'm like, Yeah, I know. I, yeah, right. I don't look like a caveman. It's weird. Yeah. Um, there's, you know, there's an issue where it shows him at the, at the, you know, the Xerox place making copies of his little comic book that he's going to take right. around to the shops. Hey, can I, can I give you some of these? And I'm like, yeah, I'll take five. Cool. Thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> like, wow, five. Great. Um, he, one of them, that's where I found an essay from like the 1700s about the joys and the delirium of coffee and how it changes your brain and changes your insides. And it's, you yeah. know, proof that the universe is good and all this stuff. And <laughs> there's a, it's not all about coffee. Like there was a whole arc where, um, a, uh, some entertainment conglomerate bought the rights to him. And so he couldn't walk around being himself anymore. 
because they had a different version of him that they were marketing when they bought the copyright too much coffee man oh okay and so it was like too much copyright man tc (laughs) tmcm uh and and so like yeah he couldn't be himself like on the street anymore so he was like well what do i do and it was just it's fabulous it's a great comic it's smart and it's funny it's so funny and his friends are uh too much espresso man which is a guy <laughs> with a little tiny cup and it's you know tied to his head with a string right, right. and uh oh but too much too much latte woman with almonds i think yeah. something like that and she has like almonds on her face it's just it's just strange and it's okay. hilarious i love right. too much coffee man um Evan Dorkin did Milk and Cheese and Yes! Yes! My God. (laughs) I think Milk and Cheese was the first comic. I I got it from my brother. And I was like, you can do this? Because I was a kid. (laughs) I was an innocent... She makes a man mean! (laughs) An innocent waif. So Milk and Cheese is a pint of milk and a wedge of cheese. And every episode... They get drunk and get baseball bats and broken bottles and beat people maybe to death. (laughs) It's extremely violent. It's extremely gory. And there's barely a story. And it is awful and hilarious. And it's just, again, it's pure id. Hell yeah. Um, Hell yeah. And... I just, it's so damn crazy. Yeah, and, and it's horribly like, unhinged. I love it. <laughs> unhinged, yes. It's unhinged. It's just let off the chain like, what the hell? <laughs> it's it's crazy. And so naturally, yeah. I, I have every issue. Yeah, I, uh, <laughs> I so milk and cheese, I, 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 you know, what little I do know about indie comics for the most part, I would say 75% of it comes from you. Maybe 25% of it comes from, you know, the rest of, you know, whatever various and sundry BS I've uh, absorbed over the years. But um, Milk and Cheese and, and especially Evan Dorkin, um, you got me obsessed with them in a big way. And um, I I loved how uh, just to the... the the level and the intensity with which uh, Dorkin decided to break all the rules and rebel in Milk and Cheese. And it's so satisfyingly visceral. It's yeah. all bad. I mean, oh, yeah. none of it is none of it is appropriate. None of it is is culturally safe. Um, and, <laughs> yeah. and there there's a lot of it that that today would just be absolutely downright uncouth oh but, well in 1994 or whatever it was uh, no that's not okay <laughs> no but the biggest singular word that i can always think of whenever i think about milk and cheese is visceral because that's what it yes. is it's like how do i how do i display as this like angsty pent-up angry nerd dude in my mid-20s how much i just absolutely hate insert thing here right right and and anything yeah and it's comic after comic 
of him basically letting loose in his comics uh, these two little milk products to go beat the ever-living daylights out of property investors, real right. estate magnates, um, the Coca-Cola Corporation. You know, it's just yeah, whoever, just whoever he's like be, angry with. You know, when people he sat down exercising. To yeah, or right. The mall Santas, or right. you know. Right. Oh no! There's traffic, like right. anything, or right. one, guys I, on I remember, motorcycles. Yeah, exactly. I remember one time someone said, "Hey, you should try drugs." Okay. Right. And so they smoked weed, and they were like, "I don't feel anything." And then they fell asleep, and then they woke yeah. up, and they were so angry. They're like, "We lost 24 hours of mayhem. <laughs> yeah, this right. is unacceptable." And so they go and find <laughs> and the, go and the guy who gave that. them pot and beat them yes. up and kill them and. <laughs> You know, or they were, there was one page where they just yelled, uh, Herve Velichez, Herve Velichez. <laughs> yep. And that's all I it was. It's just, it's stupid and loud and crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah, when you're 17 and you're like, I have too much pent up energy. Ah, right. I'm going right. to read this comic. Now, um, in, in yet another a case of, I really hope I'm not stealing your thunder here. Are you going to mention Yonan Vasquez? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Um, now but I've, before now I do, I've done that. So his, <laughs> his Evan Dorkin's other comic, well, he did lots, but from that era was Dork. Right. Um, and that was just like a one or two page. It was like a, 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 a comic, but each thing in yeah. it was like one page, two pages. And some of them were like a page where it would be like five, three panel strips. Yeah. And it had one of my all-time favorite jokes, which was, it was named that tune, but it was named that Ramones tune. <laughs> and it was these two people who were like, I can name that Ramones tune in 87 notes. Well, I can name that Ramones tune in 61 notes. Well, I can name that Ramones tune in 43 notes. All right, right. name that Ramones tune. Oh, crap. Uh <laughs> Can you tell me which album it's off of? Right. <laughs> it's like, yes. And I love the Ramones, but yes. <laughs> they they wrote three songs. Um, oh, so, hey, before so we go funny. off of Evan Dorkin, I do need to note that he is on Twitter, uh, at Evan Dorkin. And the one thing that I do love is that <laughs> in, in a similar vein to... Um, in a similar vein to uh, Linda Berry, uh, he's decided to, um, you know, do comics and, and resources and stuff, uh, which is the meta of making comics and stuff. But unlike Linda Berry, <laughs> where it was, you know, how can I how can I do this in a progressive fashion? His are more like, look, here's some things that I learned as I was making my way through life. So, you know, if you're interested, check it out. Uh, but also, I'm going to do comics about how shitty it is being in the comic industry. <laughs> yeah. So occasionally yeah. he'll put up these one shots where he's like, this is what it looks like when you were trying to go from independent publisher to independent publisher that's had some success back to independent publisher that is now <laughs> forgotten. <laughs> yeah. And that's another running theme is like trying to pay the rent. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah, he... He's not a happy guy. <laughs> no, no, he's not. And I think and, that's the reason that he remains one of my favorites because oh yeah, he's 
he's perpetually like f the world and, and yeah. there's there's a lot of that that rings true with me so yeah and and he was one of the writers on uh, space Coast coast to coast yeah which we we talked about him way back in one of the first episodes yep he's um, actually i was scrolling through his um uh he's got this one tweet where uh it was one of those challenge tweets where it's like quote retweet with four projects you've worked on then he put i kind of had a career once <laughs> mm-hmm. then the four retweets are space ghost yo gabba gabba and superman yep. yeah and it's like yeah this dude has been involved but you know he's yeah i mean that's the thing with comics is you can be on the biggest books and still be broke <laughs> yeah or or relatively unknown yeah yeah, yeah. um you mentioned Yonan Vasquez. Yonan Vasquez did Johnny the Homicidal Maniac. Yeah! You might know his other character, Invader Zim. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, the, the beloved children's cartoon of Nickelodeon, <laughs> Invader right. Zim. Right. Which is stylistically very similar to Johnny the to Homicidal Johnny. Maniac, exactly. which is a crazy guy who goes around killing people because he's a homicidal maniac. Yay! Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you. It's like uh, milk and cheese without the humor. It's, I guess there's humor. But it's a lot more like if milk and cheese is Twitter, then... Johnny the Homicidal Maniac is Diary Land. It's all yeah. <laughs> emo poetry. Tumblr. It's all Tumblr. Yeah. Where it's <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, we're not going to let it go just how fucking terrible we feel. We're going to spend yeah. the next 15 pages dwelling on it. But I'm going to dwell on how bleak everything is and how much I hate myself. And yeah. Yeah. Stab, I, stab, the, stab. The one thing I do want to say, though, is like, there's something about. With 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 milk and cheese, definitely, but but definitely more so with Johnny the Homicidal Maniac and Invader Zim. I feel like, and and it, maybe this is, you know, self-inserting into the narrative here or, or anecdote, but I feel like the reason that especially Invader Zim uh, exploded onto the alternative pop culture scene with the uh, fervor that it did is because the same um visceral nature of of really just killing or destroying or beating the you know ever living daylights out of a thing far beyond how much it truly needs to be beat up kind of the the old mel blanc um uh, fritz feeling um rules of you know how long something should be beat up are really broken in the way that evan dorkin and in the way that yonan vasquez did their stuff where they're like we're going to devote a, a bolt, bunch of panels or maybe about uh three or four uh you know maybe eight <laughs> or nine seconds to to showing just how severely you know we're, we're gonna you know beat the daylights out of this object that we hate with a bat yeah you know and yeah i, it, I, I, definitely... I think it's because Go ahead. No, I was just agreeing with you. Yeah, it's it's yeah. visceral, and you're like, oh god, it's, it's right. Yeah, like disturbing 
but cartoonishly so. So yeah. you find yourself laughing at it, and you're like, oh, should I laugh at this? Oh, God. Right. Well, it's really and, funny, so okay. And I don't think there's any other... I think during that era, during the early to mid-2000s, when Invader Zim became so popular, I don't think there was anything else out there quite like Invader Zim in terms of that visceral nature. And I, I feel like it was one of those untapped veins that had already been hit, addressed, and loved within the world of indie comics. And people and, knew Dorkin, and people knew Vasquez and stuff, but it wasn't until the rest of the world through, uh, I think it was Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network, putting Invader Zim on, saw, you know, yeah, it was Nickelodeon, saw Zim just beating the daylights out of things or stealing children's organs so that he could look like a real human boy during his uh, physical. Oh, God, but he's full of organs. And he's just, he's just organs <laughs> falling God. out of every pore. Yeah, it's like... It's so I don't, grotesque. I don't, it's so... Gr that's it. It's, it's grotesque and it's visceral. And I don't think there was anything quite like that on TV or had been on TV like that up until that yeah. point. And I think that satisfied an urge... For a lot of the 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 scene kids, the goth kids, the emo kids out there that were like, I'm yeah. angry. I I want to I want to have a character that I can um, uh, echo with that uh, shares my anger. And oh my god, look at this silly cartoon character doing this. This is great. This is my Bugs Bunny. You know. Yeah, or yeah, this yeah. Is, yeah. Anyway, yeah. And yeah. and the the targets of the violence were generally mainstream cultural things. It was know. the establishment. Yeah. It was establishment. It was anti-establishment renegade violence. And right. In a cartoonish way that followed Nickelodeon's rules. There was no blood. Yep. No one died. Right. As far as you know, <laughs> the kids got their organs back at the right. end of the episode. Uh, yeah, it was, but it was just so grotesque and yeah. dark and awful, but and hilarious because it was yeah. cartoonish. Yeah, but you know, and, the one and thing John I and will... the Homicidal Maniac, the sort of source material is is similar, where it's just, it's not as cartoony, but it is like, oh god. Uh, yeah. But yeah, it's 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 the same sort of, it's like Marilyn Manson sort of. Yeah. Like, oh well, yeah. he he ended up being a bad dude. Well, yeah. But the um, music, the media at the time. But in the '90s, as far as we knew, yeah, yeah. That's like, or you know, Rob Zombie sort right. of appeal. Yeah. So, but like yeah. you know, the the one thing that I really really enjoyed about every one of these indie comics that you would drop in my lap you know, in the middle of, uh, you know, uh, us hanging out in high school or in college or, you know, you and I would hang out and you'd be like, you got to borrow this. This is, this is ridiculous. You'll love it. You know? And then a month later I'm like, Oh my God, I love it. Um, yeah. is that, um, so much of the, the, um, indie comics in general and and that corner of the comic book making universe is allowed simply because of the lack of um whether it's explicit or implicit comic book rules to do uh some of that um 
visceral and over the top lampooning that you really can't get you you cannot get away with it in uh, the rest of the Marvel and DC comic book world, um, and you can't get away with it there because the rules are already established. Whether they are you know explicit rules or whether they are the Walt Disney Corporation rules, you know, or whether it's this is right. the way that Marvel has always done things rules, you know, well, it just doesn't I mean, fly. You could you could do that. I mean, there's a you know famously in '89 or so the Joker beat Robin to death. Right, well, that's and, true. And blew up the building he was in, and then readers voted on whether or not Robin would live, and they voted right. no, he dies. <laughs> and they said, <laughs> okay, he's that. dead. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so, you know, like, they definitely got pretty brutal. Yeah. But, but it was also the villain doing it. Yeah, but it was it was brutal within... The context of a it was brutal within the context of an overarching superhero supervillain narrative as opposed exactly to yeah it wasn't senseless... it wasn't batman saying you know what i hate yeah exactly Tr- uh, you right. know frat boys i'm gonna right. get them <laughs> yeah right 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 or or uh harvey harvey Picar waking up in the morning and and saying uh uh, I, I got to pay my cancer bills, but I, I really can't because nobody's bought um, uh, my comic. So, uh, you know, could could die next week. That'll suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's strange. I was trying to get kind of a look at the flow of over these decades, if it went more from self-publishing to indie companies or if it if the indie companies that put out you know six books were if they really counted because there's so many small press comic companies that do these indie comics and a lot of them you know are in all but name self-publishing yeah yeah um but it seems like over the years it has gone more and more it went more and more towards very small companies until yeah. about this time yeah the early 90s the big thing that happened in well in the 80s you got dark horse right became a big indie comic and dark horse was where you went if it is the 80s and you would like very much to have a big successful show or movie right. based on your comic in 15 years or 20 years yeah. dark horse is where you want to be they did hellboy the mask sin city yeah. 300 umbrella academy right um friggin the walking dead uh yeah that was all that is Dark Horse stuff, and uh, I had totally forgotten about no, that. No, no, no. Walking yeah. Dead was not Dark Horse. I lied, but the rest all were. Hellboy, yeah. The Mask, Sin City, right. Bell Academy. Yeah, I had and forgotten about that. that Dark of... Horse was ostensibly the underdog through the '90s as as an independent yeah. quote unquote publisher. But you're right. In you're the right. '80s and '90s, yeah, yeah, they got they right. were getting yeah, but in. Oh, when did I want to say ninety two is when they did it? Yeah. 
Yeah. A bunch of the Marvel and DC people got together and founded Image Comics. Yep. And to the what Image did in the last 30 years is wild because when it started, it was all the folks like Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, Mark Silvestri, Todd McFarlane, all these guys. Yeah. They, it was sort of a, they each had their own company and the companies fed into Image and Image released them. And Yeah, right. And, but so much of their output, and it was because of the time, the early 90s, everything was giant muscles and yeah. thighs bigger than torsos yep. <laughs> guns that shoot smaller guns yeah yeah you know i mean the names of some of these comics it's so testosterone fueled yeah uh because it's both that's both spawn and judge dread right no judge dread came out of um 2000 AD in England in the 80s. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, Judge Dredd was a British thing. Um, oh. Huh. But, uh, and, and, yeah. But, uh, Spawn, yeah, Spawn was Image. That was Todd McFarlane. Um, the other ones were Wildcats, Young Blood, Cyber right. Force, Shadow right. Hawk. It's just all these books where you take two words and stick them together to make one word. Right, right. Um, and it was all this like, I have so many guns. Oh, yeah, so right. do I. Let's go kill some people. <laughs> oh, man, a thing exploded. Go, yeah. boom, boom, boom. <laughs> but then you also had Spawn, which was, you know, still extremely muscled up, muscle yeah. muscles. But yeah. it had this interesting story involving demons and hell right. and afterlife right. and stuff. Yeah. Um, and yet, at the same time, you had grew g-r-o-o the uh was it grew the barbarian he's it's like like if if conan was an idiot is grew uh savage dragon the max who which are all still running 30 years right. later they're yep. as well as spawn i think savage dragon is like the current volume of it because you know like they renumbered batman and superman so that they're over a thousand now. Yeah. But there's been like breaks in continuity or whatever. Right. Or like breaks right. in the numbering. So it's like Batman volume, you know, six or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's number a thousand fifty or whatever to tie it back to Detective Comics 37. Um, but I think the current volume of Savage Dragon is the longest running one volume of a comic that's currently in production that's awesome (laughs) um but yeah so image in the early 90s it was all these like muscly muscle muscle testosterone ridiculous comics and over the years it chilled out and so now well walking dead wrapped up but besides walking dead they did sex criminals which is one of the most sensitive enlightened letters columns in anything ever not just comics like anything the the, okay the these letters that random strangers would write in to this comic about people who freeze time when they have sex and use this power to rob banks (laughs) 
it's absurd and silly, but yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> but it very quickly became about mental illness and about mm. relationships and about how do you sustain a relationship? How do you deal with your ADHD when you're right. forty? Right. And the letters column fed into this, and you had people write about you know, when they realized that they were asexual or when they realized they were transgender or when they right. realized that, you know, th or stupid stuff like the time that them and their partner had sex while, you know, the Ewoks movie was on, you know, yeah. stupid stuff. Right, right. <laughs> but it's all in this larger conversation about mental health and identity and being comfortable right. with who you are and being uncomfortable right. with who you are, but working on it. And this whole thing, yeah. it's, and it's this really enlightened community that grew up around the stupidest idea for a comic ever. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, image also has a uh, bitch planet by Kelly DeSoto, Kelly right, Sue comic, which, which we, we talked, talked about, about. Yeah. a few months ago, which I love. Yeah. It's so yeah. good. It's like middle finger feminism. Right. Um, Saga is great. I hate Fairyland, Rat Queens, The Wicked Saga, and the Divine. Saga is amazing. They're yeah. all so good. And but to think of all these like enlightened, like, you know, Portland feeling comic books right. coming out of the same company as Young Blood, Shadow Hawk, mm -hmm. right. <laughs> you know, right. you know hey, Rob Liefeld's company. I've got, I've got one or two I wanted to mention, uh, and I don't want to cut you off if you're, if you're on. No, a roll, no, no, wanna... absolutely no. Okay, so I want to ask real quick: um, Have you ever read um, Box Office Poison by Alex Robinson? No, I have okay. not. That sounds interesting. So, Box Office Poison is, uh, is uh, I. I Hat tip to my very good friend um, Eric Overacre, who is a uh, um, artist, and uh, he's he's done inks and um, uh, some he's done inks and panels for a variety of different uh, indie comic publications uh, out of the Washington State area, Portland, Seattle. Um, cool. But he he and I are both Transformer nerds, and so every once in a while, I'll send him robots, and he'll send me robots, and then. Uh, mm -hmm. Every once in a while, a comic book will appear in the box, right? Um, but he sent me Box Office Poison about maybe a year and a half, two years ago. And um, I, I, I refused to finish it. It's a giant, thick volume. And the biggest reason I refuse to finish it is because it is pitch-perfect recreation of the angsty, bitiness, and raw casualness of the 90s era characters from that era of movie making uh, that was Clerks, Mallrats, um, uh, uh, the original High Fidelity, um, the mm. uh, Empire Records. It's, it's all of that feeling kind of wrapped into a comic book. And it's this great story. There's a series of different stories going on all at the same time. But one of the one of the stories revolves around this um, this this kid that's trying to come up into the comic book publishing industry, discovering 
an old comic uh, uh, comic artist uh, who lives in New York and realizing that this guy has been given the, the bum end of the deal that he's been basically forgotten. Um, yeah. It's, it's very much a narrative analog to the Stanley Jack Kirby style relationship. Um, okay, yeah. And, and it's, it's told through the reticle of like clerks, the animated series. Right. And, um, hmm. It's so, so, so good. They, they have these mini side narratives where, like, the, one of my favorite ones is uh, the one of the characters. And this is why I like it so much is because it captures this feeling that you had through the mid-90s where the concept of being nostalgic about something that everyone else had forgotten was still fresh. Not the, not, <laughs> not, not the indie, like, I was it nostalgic before weaponized. it was... Right, not the, like, I was nostalgic before it was cool type of deal, but more like the, you know, oh my god, look at this forgotten gem from 1973, you know? And then right. everybody kind of loves on it for a brief period of time. You know, as opposed to the, you know, as much as I love it, you know, as much, not not like the Ready Player One where it's like, you know, pour everything 80s into a blender and spin, you know. Yeah. Um, I like the uh, the parodies of uh, Ready when Ready Player Two was announced and they put up yeah. the first 10 pages or something. All the parodies were so just gut punch spot yeah. on where it's like you know uh jim logged into the internet which was a thing in the 90s where you connected to a network of computers <laughs> via a phone line <laughs> just describing all the minute is like oh right. wow it's like yes, okay okay we are... get it we get it but yeah, <laughs> like, like, yeah of, i know <laughs> one of one of the side plots in box of his poison is that the the nerd uh comic book writer discovers a a Kenner uh, Bantha in a comic book shop and he's coveting oh, cool. it and he's he's and it's got you know, he's talking about it lovingly and he's it's got the real fur and there were only a few hundred of these produced and he's mm -hmm. obsessing over whether he's going to buy it or not and it's yeah. totally out of that pocket of time from the 90s where it's rediscovering things and being nostalgic about them is still new um, yeah but then there's also they haven't been reissued and recovered and redone right. and redesigned and right, right. But then also, but it's the, still a hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, and then and then the the love plots in the story. You know, there's like a, a kind of a love triangle that's going on that very much feels like a type of thing that would fall out of you know Jersey Girl. Uh, mm. It's just so good. It's so good. And I'm about halfway through and. Every time I think about going back to it, I'm like, no, because then I would finish it and, and then oh, I wouldn't have yeah. any more to read, you know, but there's that there's reminds that. me of go ahead um, a much less likable version. Uh, going back to Evan Dorkin, his short lived comic. Uh, oh, it was what was it called? The Eltingville sci fi comic fantasy fan club, something like that. Yes. Which Where it's I the watched four... three episodes of on Adult Swim, and then it disappeared. Oh, that's right. They made a cartoon of it. I forgot. Yes, it was and a it comic was so book. It was so good. It was, it was so good. 
they're just the most repulsive fanboys. Mm-hmm. The worst geeks. Yeah. They're they're mean and uh, misogynist yeah. and hipstery yep. and they want to hoard all the information and use it as yep. a weapon. They were gatekeepers. That was the other one they're that drew gatekeepers. Yeah. Yeah. They're just awful. They're scum. Right. They're the worst of the nerds. Yeah. And, and it was pitch perfect because of how shitty those characters were. It was yes. like it was I, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, it was a comments thread before yeah. there were comment threads. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Oh. It was like, yes, I see you and we see the same monstrosities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. yeah, you are a you are a hydra of terrible people embodied <laughs> in one shitty person. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that yeah. show was great, Eltingville. I need to go back and I need to go find the Eltingville comics because I saw that as I was scrolling through Dorkin's uh, Twitter feed, and I was like, okay, yeah, I remember this. And then a video clip started playing on it, and I was like, oh! so, <laughs> yeah, I got to go back and look at that. I, I got to go. Yeah, that was that, that was another one that came out of Dork. Yeah. His, right. uh, his dork comics would occasionally like each issue there might be one page of the Eltingville guys oh they were the worst alright I got another indie uh, comic for you to check out um, okay this is another one that, that Eric sent out to me and I, I think this is an exchange for um, I sent him a, a miniaturized uh, Optimus Prime if I remember correctly but um, yeah the comic is called Blankets and um, oh yeah is, yeah yeah Oh my god. Oh my god. Blankets. <laughs> okay, okay. So, let me set the stage for you. Um uh Big Fat Fletch over here um sitting on a Korean Airlines flight between uh Tokyo out to Seoul, South Korea to go do an antenna install as part of my job. It's like 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night. I'm like too jazzed to sleep. Um, I pull out blankets. I am surrounded by people I don't know. Um, hmm. And I am flying on the other side of the world from one country on the other side of the world to another country on the other side of the world. It's a four hour flight. I have just finished a 12 hour flight from Virginia to Tokyo. And I'm jazzed as I'll get out. I'm like too much coffee at this point. I'm like, all right, well, I can't sleep. Uh, I, I might as well read Blankets, which I brought along many things to Eric sending it out to me. I opened it up, and about two hours in, I'm sobbing. Yeah. And it, it, it's... It'll get you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. There, there were so <laughs> many elements to Blankets that, that rung true with... Uh, my early relationship with with my now wife that it it just like Mm. it was as much a gut punch as it was rose rose tinted glasses and it was just amazing i i i I would sing to the hills about it you know and the thing the thing that the thing that makes it uh so pitch perfect in my opinion, is the the mesh of the art and and the story, and it's the type of thing where you wouldn't be able to. I mean, you would you'd be able to tell this story as a movie, right? And there's and and 
you know, highly likely, you know, you could either do the movie and it would become amazing, or you could do the movie and you could really drop the ball. But the way that the storytelling of Blankets uses the images wafting around the characters to visually suggest the amount of complex thoughts that are going through their heads as they're trying to figure out how to love each other. Just, it was so on point. It was so on point. And, And it's one of those things that I, like... I I will never forget that moment of finishing that comic and and looking up and and wiping tears out of my eyes and just being amazed at how good it was. So yeah, Aww. yeah, yeah. And I mean, we're we're kind of wrapping up, but the the stuff we've covered is just the stuff that we liked. Yeah, it barely oh scratches the surface. Oh my God! There's the stuff we said times a thousand, or how many series there are out there and literally anything that you like uh i have three volumes of um oh god what's it called it's like the the graphic canon i think it's called okay where it's various comic book artists retelling stories from prehist not prehistory but from ancient history you know, from like Gilgamesh to the Bible to uh, the, you know, old Native American legends to... I know, know of that compilation because I remember reading an article about it, but I never read the... Yeah, never read it it's itself. really cool. That's cool. You know, up through, you know, Alice in Wonderland and Edgar Allan Poe and, right. you know, modern stuff. It's, it's really neat. It's a neat, like, experiment and kind of a jam session. Right. Um, not really a jam session, more of a compilation album. Yeah, no, I, I dig where you But, uh, yeah, it's, it's really neat. Um, you know, talk about spanning all genres. Here's literature. Here's a genre. Yeah. Um, uh, there's every year, uh, they put out the, you know, what is it? The, the best comic books of the year, whatever that it's a hardcover book. Released by, it's not Fantagraphics. Who puts it out? Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Okay, that's who it is. It's it's Houghton Mifflin Harcourt. Every year they put out. It's a hardcover. It looks like a textbook, like a short, uh, uh not short, but right. not very tall textbook. Yeah. Um, and it's the best American comics of whatever year just ended. Um, and those are usually more serious and subdued and autobiographical. Right. Um, that's the more like, if you think comics are stupid and you hate comics, then check that one out because yeah, you'll probably love it. Yeah, and your your opinion might change. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if if you're into, you know, I want to read memoirs and biographies and histor and history and stuff nonfiction yeah. then yeah check that out because that'll be up your alley so it looks like i'm gonna jump in for one sec it yeah. looks like um bill cartalopoulos is the one who puts it together every year 
because his name shows up on the 2015, the 2017, and the 2018. Okay. So okay, it seems so, like... So maybe was, he's like the anthologizer, and every year there's a different guest editor. Yeah, that's what it looks okay. like, at least from what I can tell. Okay, yeah, I knew it was something like that. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, and I mean, yeah, there's something for everybody. And I, I think it's interesting, um, you know, starting 20 years ago when web comics came up, it was, re- I was kind of wondering what that would, what effect that would have on indie comics. Right. Because, you know, webcomics aren't going to put a dent in DC, Marvel, and then at that point, Image and uh, um, Dark Horse. Right. But what about, you know, the little tiny ones, you know, New England Comics, Slave Labor Graphics, Adhesive Comics. Um, But uh, it just seems they just coexist because it's, you know, there's room for everyone uh, you know, and there's just as many types of web comics out there as there are paperback, and it's I don't know. I don't I don't really have an ending to this. It's just there's I have an like ending. I say, like I said at the beginning, if you saying I don't like comics is like saying I don't like books. Yeah. I don't I don't like TV. <laughs> I don't like I don't like songs. Okay. Well. This has been fantastic, and I really appreciate you doing this episode on indie comics. The one Hooray. thing that I enjoy about you doing uh, uh, podcast episodes on such large untapped goldmine subject matters like this is that um, you and I can come to this and what starts as kind of uh, I, I think you and i really enjoy the, the the chronology the abbreviated history format but by the end when it turns into have you ever heard of this one have you ever heard of this one? That's, <laughs> yeah. that's like so much fun and the biggest reason is because especially with indian alternative comics the the gold mine is so big that you know yeah. we can come back with gems that you know you and I have never heard of you know like yeah, uh, it's never ending and by the yeah. time you go back and read the 20 new ones right 400 new ones have sprung up yeah i uh, one of the things that w- we should talk about at some point further while we're not recording is whether we want to bring guest hosts in because uh my buddy eric i feel like we could do an entire like round 3 and 4 of indie comics and just have him <laughs> peppering stuff into our ears the whole time and both of us going oh my god we have to go read that now you know (laughs) so all right well this has been fantastic thank you dan i appreciate it hooray hooray all right uh sing us out all right April in Paris, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>